You know, it, when you see someone's testimony being splashed on social media or when people tell you about it, then you know, okay, let's find out what this is all about, which is how I got into contact with Candy Benson because she's got one of those. Hello, Candy. How are you doing? Very well in yourself, Janine. Fine and fabulous. Thank you very much. Although you couldn't always say that. Now, before we jump into you and COVID-19 and the whole implication of that, tell me about yourself. If you had to introduce yourself as a person, personality-wise, and what you do for a living and all of that, who is Candy Benson? (laughs) Well, I was born and raised in a small town here in Gauteng called Krugersdorp. Um, It's a very small town, but it's a very cute town. The people here are really awesome. Um, I started singing from the age of three already. (laughs) There's a video of me on YouTube where I sing, I will always love you from Whitney Houston. And I'm still so cheeky. I say to my parents, don't clap now. Only at the end of the song (laughs) at three years old. (laughs) And, um, I've basically grown up wanting to perform from when I can remember my parents have videos of me singing and dancing and Um, performing and um, I think I was about seven when they wrote me into my first competition my first singing competition and then from there um, I I think my parents wrote me into the essays and the world championships and um, when I was 12 years old they crowned me junior world champion in the category rock which was such an honor such an amazing experience Um, and then later on I think I was 17 when I released my first Afrikaans single, Stay With Fuss. And um, from there, the, the, the career just grew and grew. And I'm so unbelievably blessed to be where I am now with my career. Yeah, these days, it's, it's, it's really a privilege to be able to do what you love doing, um, especially with the whole pandemic worldwide. So many of the artists had to jump in and do other stuff just to survive, to be able to have the yes. privilege of singing another day. But I also want to find out, Definitely. because when I read your testimony, I, I have to assume that you know Jesus, because you couldn't have gone through all of that <laughs> without him. How did you meet him in the first place? I've, my parents brought me up from when I could speak. We always prayed. We went to church. We were always a very religious family. Um, but I must say, after my experience, my faith, it's, I've always had a very strong faith, but my faith grew tenfold in that hospital. Yeah. So let's tell your story. <laughs> All right. Um, sure. Where to begin? On the 28th of June, I tested positive for COVID-19. And um, I, I, I didn't feel too bad. I wasn't coughing. Um, I, I didn't have a runny nose or any, any of those symptoms. I just felt extremely tired. Like you, you battle to get out of bed. Um, that extreme exhaustion. And I was fine. And then on the 10th of July, um, I went and sat outside by my mom in the sun because people said, you know, the sun is very good for COVID-19. And apparently my eyes just rolled over and I passed out and I was not breathing. I stopped breathing and my parents panicked and um, they obviously phoned the ambulance and I was rushed to Olivedale hospital. I think I sat eight hours in the ambulance. Um, I remember running out of oxygen um, while I was lying in the ambulance. And I remember the paramedics trying to keep me calm and trying to keep me lucid the whole time. And um, I remember another paramedic donating his oxygen because we had to wait so long to get a bed in casualties. And then eventually after eight hours, um, 
I got a bed in casualties and I remember them putting this massive um, oxygen mask on me, um, but it like ties to your head. It's It's got this weird piece that goes from, from your nose over your head to the back of your head and then from the back of your head to both ears. And it like sucks onto your face. And I remember panicking because I felt like this thing was making it even harder to breathe. And then um, I was about a day in in, um, casualties when I eventually got a bed in ICU. And I remember the ICU being packed, absolutely packed. And um, I was one of three or four people max that wasn't intubated, which I'm so grateful for because um, the doctor was worried about my vocal cords, that if they intubate me, it might damage my vocal cords. So I was very grateful for that. And then about nine days after... Um, I was admitted. My dad was admitted on the 19th of July last year. And um, I remember, well, (laughs) my mom told me afterwards that they rushed him to hospital. And um, he he was about three hours there. And then they they came to her and said to her, she needs to come and say goodbye. Mm. Because unfortunately, your lungs is like a sponge, but his lungs have become like a rock. And she needs to go and say goodbye. And at that stage, I was so critical. Um, The doctors, uh, everyone said to her, she needs to keep this information away from me. She mustn't tell me about it because um, they are so scared that it's going to put me back and I'm not going to make it. So my poor mom had to deal with losing Mm. the love of her life. I mean, they've been together since she was 16. (laughs) So you must know um, it's a lifetime. She had to, you know, work through losing my dad and not knowing if I'm going to survive or not. It was, I, I take my hat off to her because she's the strongest person I know. Sure. She's really, um, she's such a strong human being. And throughout that whole experience, she was my rock. She really, every second of every day, she would message me because at that stage um, you couldn't have visitors, you know? Um, so I think um, on the can't remember, somewhere in August, I think it was just before her birthday, I think it was the 15th of August, yeah. Um, I was doing physio because also with all the amount of cortisone and steroids, and at that stage I was still on 60 litres of oxygen per minute. Um, And with all the cortisone and steroids, I got muscle atrophy um, from not using the muscles, and with all the medication, my muscles just disappeared. And I had to learn to walk all over again. So we were doing a lot of physio. Um, I remember the first four days of physio, they literally would pick my legs up out of the bed and put it on the floor. And the first four days, I just had to stand and sit and stand and sit just to get some, you know, muscle memory into my legs. And then it took about four weeks before I could walk 10 to 20 meters. And um, I remember we were doing a physio session on the 15th of August. And when we got back to the bed, I said to the physiotherapist, I'm battling to breathe. And just before that, I was going through terrible stereopsychosis. Um, there was a, a stage where I I didn't even remember my own name. I knew that there were people that loved me. Um, I couldn't remember their names. Uh. I thought that I was maybe in a mental institution because I just kept seeing the, the, the blue curtains and the numbers of the, the ICU wards, you know, the, the beds. You could see the different numbers. And I, I had no idea who I was, where I was. I was so confused all the time. And after I did this physio session, 
I felt like I couldn't breathe and I started panicking. I thought, okay, the serotonin is now coming back. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, so I started stressing and I said to the, the physio, I'm battling to breathe. I think I'm having a panic attack. Um, I think it's the, the psychosis is coming back. Um, I mean, my psychosis was so bad. They, they had to restrain me because they kept pulling my oxygen out of my, my nose. And like I said, I was on such high oxygen then I, I couldn't afford to be without oxygen. And um, my physiotherapist um, like looked at me and he said to me, okay, breathe, try and breathe. And um, eventually he, he disappeared. When he came back, he came back with the doctor and the doctor listened to my lungs and he said to me, Miss um, Benson, you're not having a panic attack. Your left lung has, has collapsed. Oh, my word. We have, to, we, <laughs> we have to put a drain in immediately. And um, I, I remember they, they had to do it live. They, 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 they numb the, the, the area that they're going to cut. But then you have to be awake and fully um, aware of your surroundings when they put the, the drain in. Because apparently if they put you out, your lung falls too flat that they can't get the drain in. What do you mean? And you look I, down and you see them cutting and you see them putting something into yeah. your chest, everything like that. <laughs> so the first, the first drain was on um, my side, basically between my ribs. And that one worked for about six to seven days. And then it started bubbling. And my doctor saw it bubbling and he's like, something's not right. So they took that one out and then they put one in my chest, um, on my left chest, just, just like almost close to my armpit, but not under my armpit, more, you know, towards the, the chest bone. And um, I remember when they cut there, I didn't feel them cutting, but the doctor had to, obviously wearing gloves, he had to push his finger into that hole. Mm. And he started twisting his finger and you could feel all the muscles start tearing and um, my nerves started like shooting all over the place. I still don't have feeling under my left arm. And um, I remember that pain. I can't explain that pain. And I, I sat there and I started praying. And I prayed and I prayed. And I felt this like warm hand hold my hand, but no one was holding my hand. And um, I, I prayed and I, all of a sudden I got this complete, utter calm come over me. Pain disappeared completely. Absolute calm came over me. And the nurse still got a fright. And she's like, Miss Benson, why are you so quiet? Are you okay? Because I went from crying from the pain to being absolutely still. And I said, yes, I'm fine. Yeah. And I, I could feel God's presence. I, sorry, I get emotional about it. I could really feel his presence there. And um, so many times throughout that whole experience, um, I remember them. they had to put A-lines and central lines. Um, central lines, they put a, a line through your neck and it goes through your main artery into your heart. And they 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 give like um, medicines through these different lines, but they also take blood from, from that specific artery. And I remember when they put it in, I was so scared because they, they push your face all the way to the side and then they they open you up and they put that needle in and you can feel it. It feels almost like a zip tie, that that sound of a zip tie, if you tie a zip tie. As it goes in, you feel it. And when it goes to your heart, you actually feel like a, a sharp pain there. And I remember praying and praying that this would end. And the same thing, I just 
get this calm that come that came over me, and I knew that God was with me. And I've with with Mom not being able to come in, he was my faith was what kept me going. He he kept me going. I, I get so emotional, but it's it's such a beautiful thing to know and to feel to experience that presence with you is absolutely amazing. And I think eventually they allowed my mom to come see me just after they put the first train in, but she had to be full PPE'd. Um, She had to have um, covers on her feet, um, her entire body. She had to wear two pairs of gloves, two masks, a visor, and she wasn't allowed to touch me and she could only stay with me for about 15 minutes. Um, and that really helped, you know, perk my spirits up and, you know, get me feeling good again, you know. But altogether, all I think I was about 74 days in ICU and in and out of hospital for, for about, I think it was five months. And um, the last time I went into hospital was December. And um, I remember well, it was actually awesome. Well, while I was in hospital, I came out. We had a memorial for my dad and um, I battled, started battling to breathe again. And um, we went back to Olivedale. They took x-rays and they saw that I had a hole in my left lung, mm. a five centimeter hole, which is still there at the moment. And um, I spent another couple of good couple of weeks in the hospital. Then I eventually came out and mom's uh, got information from one of her friends um, about this Dr. Emmanuel Taban. And he's been on Carter Blanche and on Baitsaka and he's been on so many radio stations and so many TV programs already because he is absolutely brilliant when it comes to COVID and COVID pneumonia and COVID lungs. And we got an appointment with him and we went to see him and I was still on oxygen. Shame that's my poor mom had a, a hip replacement just before I got sick. And um, when I got out of hospital, she had to walk with me because the doctor said the more I walk, the better my lungs um, will start working and the more lung capacity should come back. So she was walking with me up and down, carrying the poor oxygen tank next to her. And then we had to walk like to the stop street and back. And um, I felt so sorry for her, but we were still on oxygen. We went to see Dr. Emmanuel Tsvan and um, he looked at me and he said to me, it's time take off the oxygen. Even if your stats drop to 85, you're still not dying. Your lungs need to start learning to breathe on their own. They've been on the oxygen for so long, so many months. It's time. And I took off my oxygen and I was nervous because you, you don't know how your body's going to react. And um, from there, um, he put me on a lot of cortisone. I was on a lot of cortisone already in the hospital. But he put me on 12 tablets of cortisone sure. per day. For many months after that, I, I blew up like a little blowfish. <laughs> my face was round. My body blew up. Um, I came out of hospital not looking like me at all, um, but it helped the lungs. And um, my capacity went up from when I when I went to see Dr. Emmanuel Tavan, my lung capacity was only at 40%. And at the moment, it's up to 60%. So I'm very, very blessed. I've, I've come leaps and bounds. But then you had the opportunity to actually sing on a stage again. And that was daunting as well. Yeah, that was, it was incredible. Um, I was on the MSC Orchestra and they had this whole Oertopibuot festival that they were having, um, like festival that they were having there. And Tony Campbell phoned and he's like, 
well, do you think that you'll be able to do one or two songs? And I was like, mm, I'm not sure. Um, I still battle to breathe just walking from, you know, one place to the other, doing stairs. I'm completely out of breath. But, um, you know, I, I felt, you know, God saved me. He gave me a second chance in life. And he's now given me this opportunity. I need to grab it with both hands. So I said, yes, I will. I'm going to do two songs. And I remember going back to the cabin and practice for about two hours. And I heard, okay, the vocal ability is still there. I still sound like me. But uh, I was just battling a bit with the breathing. You know, I had to take um, little breaths in between where I never had to before. But I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And that night I got onto the stage and I was petrified. <laughs> I haven't felt so nervous in years. But then I realized it, it had been 15 months since last time I held a microphone in my hand because before I got sick, we weren't singing because of COVID, you know, and all the restrictions. And so I wasn't performing. So it had been 15 months and that microphone was shaking. So I'd say for about the first half of my first song, it, I, it was so bad. I was shaking so bad, but then the nerves started settling and, that passion and that love and that that feeling that I always had when I was on stage came back. My confidence started coming back and I felt like I was at home again. And it was it was bittersweet because it was such an amazing feeling to know that God saved me. God saved my vocals. He saved my voice. I'm here. I'm, I'm able to sing. But it was also the first time I sang without my dad being present. Mm. So it was, it was hard because... My parents have always been at every dig. My dad was the karaoke. <laughs> he always used to carry all the speakers and set everything up. And um, my mom's the momager and the sound engineer. So, you know, it's always been like a family business. Me singing wasn't just me. It was always the entire family. So um, it was hard because it was the first one without him. Yeah. But that being said, I felt so blessed that I could it is something, it's just gobsmacking to realize that at some stage there wasn't something like music and that God had created music and the, the concept of notes and then it becoming a melody and the lyrics and all of that was something that God had created from nothing and that it's, it's your connection point with him. It's the one place you feel alive is when you get to do this exactly. thing that he created just for you, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I do have to wonder, after all of this, because obviously – when we do life, we've got a perception of who God is. And, um, you know, uh, we, it, it's just, a, it's just how we grow up and what religion is to us and all of that. We put him in, in, in his God box. And then you started living life and, and you had an experience with him that is just so precious and so tender, isn't it? And so personal. Yes. Yes. Did it change the way your relationship felt after that? Definitely. I, definitely. I, like I said, I've always had so much faith and so religious and, but after feeling his presence and knowing 110% that he's there, literally feeling, you know, someone hold your hand, but there's, you feel that hand in your hand, but there's no hand there. Um, it, it's almost as if our relationship is more personal. Like I know him better than what I did before. I thought I knew him until I went through what I went through. And now I feel like I know him even better. And I feel like the bond is so strong that there is nothing 
that can break it. Doesn't matter what I've what I go through, what I've been through, I know he's there. And that makes me feel so safe. And then lastly, so you've learned this now and you've got a new revelation. Um, but now you need to speak to everyone who was you before you had this revelation. If you had a microphone yes. and you're not going to sing, you're going to talk to them and you can share <laughs> what's on your heart that you wish you knew they knew this thing. What, what would you share with them that would help? Oh, there's, there's so much. I mean, this is, this is why I'm sharing my stories. I know so many people have been through what I've been through. So many people lay in hospital beds and made it. There's so many people who lost loved ones and they know my pain and they, they understand. And a lot of people, when going through something so traumatic, um, people ask the question, why? Why me? Why my family member? Why? And people tend to, to blame God for, you know, all this terrible stuff that's happening to them. But I'd like to tell them that it's not God. God didn't bring this to anyone. He didn't do this to anyone. He's there to help you through it. He's there to hold your hand through your worst time and be there for you and bring you out a stronger person than what you went into the situation with. Um, you know, a lot of people... A lot of people like me have had their faith grow in this in this tough time, and if if I can just help someone if they've lost their way to find him again, or if I can just help someone to let them know that God saved me, I'm here. I can be an ear to to listen to what you've been through, and I can I can speak from my personal experience to help you go through what you're going through. If I can do that, then I know that's, that's one of the reasons God saved me. He saved me for a purpose and for a reason. If I can help others, then I know that that's what he saved me for. Well, we do have a song of yours. I know talk is cheap now, but if you say you can sing, you've got to <laughs> prove it. So we've got a song of yours. We're going to listen to that song now. Um, and then while we're listening to it, people are going to start scrolling on socials and trying to find this woman, Candy Benson. While they're now scrolling, what are they supposed to look for to find you? Yes, of course, people can find me all over social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Um, I have a website. Everything is Candy Benson. My Facebook is Candy Benson. My Twitter is at Candy Benson. My Instagram, however, is Candy B Benson. Apparently, there was already a Candy Benson. <laughs> but um, they can get me on Candy B Benson. Um, and then my website is um, www.candybenson.co.za. They can also email me at info at candyb.co.za if anyone wants to chat or if anyone wants to book gigs, you are more than welcome. And then, of course, people can also contact my PR, Lydia Winchester, at lydiaw at nweb.co.za. All right. Now, after that long list, we'll have to see. <laughs> you can scroll away till you find this lady. I saw your draw. This is what she sounds like, Candy Benson.